Thank you for downloading this audio edition of a complete chapter from the volume entitled On Common Ground, International Perspectives on the Community Land Trust. I'm John Emmius Davis, one of the book's editors, along with my colleagues Lena Algood and Maria Hernandez-Torales. On Common Ground was published in June 2020 by Terra Nostra Press, a division of the Center for CLT Innovation. We hope that you enjoy the following program. Chapter 17, Lands and Trust for Urban Farming, Toward a Scalable Model. Written and read by Nate Ela and Greg Rosenberg. In cities around the world, people are looking to urban agriculture for a wide range of benefits from providing fresh food and supporting healthy eating habits to teaching job skills and offering access to nature. Urban farms are increasingly seen as a possible engine for economic development, whether as the main source of income for full-time farmers, growing the raw materials for value-added products, or supplementary income for growers who hold other jobs. Community-supported agriculture farms can be a good fit for urban settings bringing the farm into close proximity to the membership. And finally, community gardens are a particularly compelling application of urban agriculture, making land available to residents of neighborhoods where access to fresh, healthy food is limited or non-existent. None of this can happen, however, without land on which to grow crops. A wide range of people, from individual growers to mentors, foundation officials, university researchers, urban planners, and policymakers who would like to see urban farms succeed, have been grappling with questions related to land. Which models of tenure are best suited to securing access to land for urban farming? Which models are most effective in preserving access and affordability over time? Which models are most efficient in allocating scarce resources while also promoting equity and engagement with community residents who will be in urban farms, neighbors, and customers. The high cost of urban land relative to rural land poses a major problem for would-be urban farmers. Unlike rural farmers, they're competing for land with many other potential uses, which creates inflationary pressures on land prices. In Wisconsin, for example, Rents for rural cropland averaged $140 per acre in 2018. This is a small fraction of the price an urban farmer would pay for an acre of tillable land at market rates in Chicago or other cities. Yet, food grown in cities must remain price competitive with food grown in rural areas. Few, if any, crops can be sold at prices that would cover the higher land costs and urban growers cannot simply add a premium to reflect the value of the contributions they're making to their neighborhoods. If affordable land is key to commercially viable, community-engaged urban farming, the question becomes how to protect affordability over the long term. This means ensuring that urban farms and community gardens are not displaced by rapidly rising prices in a speculative real estate market while ensuring that land is not allocated haphazardly in neighborhoods where values may be stagnant or declining. In both cases, the struggle is how to ensure spaces available 
for agricultural projects that are rooted in and beneficial to surrounding communities. Over the last several decades, housing and environmental advocates have developed land trust models to ensure that community priorities for the use of land are not displaced by speculative market forces. Open space and conservation land trusts have focused on protecting ecologically valuable land at the urban fringe. Community land trusts have sought to preserve housing affordability and security of tenure in cities and suburbs. These models are increasingly being brought to bear on the challenge of providing and protecting land for urban agriculture. Program Design Eight Strategic Questions Regarding Landholding for Urban Farms Number one, who should be the landholding entity? Different types of entities could hold land for urban agriculture, including government agencies, land banks, agriculture cooperatives, or even private firms. Cities have large amounts of unused acreage owned by churches, corporate headquarters, educational institutions, and public agencies that may be appropriate for urban agriculture. Cities such as Oakland, California, Portland, Oregon, Madison, Wisconsin, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania have conducted inventories to determine where such opportunities exist. However, increasingly around the United States, people are looking to land trusts as an entity that is well-suited to holding land for urban farms and community gardens. When considering whether a land trust should hold title to land or, instead, should manage land held by public entities, property tax issues are an important consideration. Market value property tax assessments can make land unaffordable, even for a nonprofit land trust. For this reason, the Athens Land Trust in Athens, Georgia, opted not to own urban farmland. Unfavorable property tax treatment would have yielded a full market value assessment for the land, despite the long-term restrictions placed on it. Number two, how will the landowner relate to community members? Whether land is held by a nonprofit land trust, a government agency, or some other entity, the relationship between the landholder and community members will be a key question. Are community members included as board members of a land trust? And if so, how? Are they consulted by public officials? If the land is held by a city agency or county land bank? And if so, how? Number three, how will land be made affordable? If urban farmers are to have any hope of sustained success, their cost to access land should be roughly on par with that of rural farmers. Thus, one reasonable target for affordability would be for urban farmers to devote the same percentage of the cost of access to land as rural farmers do. For rural farmers, this proportion will depend on the main crop that is being grown, whereas urban farmers will be more likely to have a, an extensive and diversified growing strategy. Number four, how will land be used? What type of land is appropriate depend on how growers plan to use it. Will they grow in greenhouses, hoop houses, or outdoors? Will they be growing flowers, herbs, or vegetables? Will they set up composting facilities? 
Land use will also depend not only on growers' desires, but on zoning and other regulations. Number five, who will be the growers? Again, a land tenure model must be responsive to different types of growers. These types include job trainees working on nonprofit urban farms, new commercial growers testing their business models on incubator farms, independent commercial growers with just a few years or decades of experience, and non-commercial community gardeners who are growing food for their own consumption. A tenure model can also help encourage community-engaged urban agriculture by minority-run firms and by prioritizing access to land for farmers who will grow in their own neighborhood. Number six, how will land be conveyed to growers? Although this is the central question to be answered by a land tenure model, we do not expect there to be a single answer. Land may be secured differently for growers with different purposes and different levels of experience. Before securing land for particular farmers, however, there is the question of how to protect land for agricultural use. This could mean transferring publicly or privately owned land into a land trust, which then provides leases to individual farmers or to an urban farming organization. It makes sense to have different terms for different types of farmers. Nonprofit urban farms could be eligible for long-term leases, perhaps 99-year renewable leases for the most well-established organizations. Such leases would ensure long-term agricultural use and provide security to urban farms committed to being an ongoing resource for a neighborhood. For individual farmers, a renewable short-term lease could have performance measures negotiated by the farmer and the leasing entity with input from community members. Farmers could thus work their way into long-term security of tenure by demonstrating their ability to pay the below market rent and provide community benefits. Number seven, what type of support would growers need to be successful? Support will vary widely based on the experience of the farmers, issues raised relating to the land, and challenges in accessing the local market for their produce. For land-related issues, farmers may need support for soil remediation, installation of infrastructure, such as water and electricity, construction of agricultural buildings, negotiating favorable property tax assessments if they are the landowners, and zoning changes in some cases. Again, the support of a team of people and organizations is usually required to address all these issues. Number eight, how is success defined? What expectations are realistic? In defining a system for land tenure, people must grapple with what a successful urban farming sector looks like. Although nonprofit urban farms have been demonstrably effective, most cities have not yet seen many small, for-profit urban farms that have created well-paying jobs. If communities or government officials expect urban farms to be a major vehicle for near-term job creation, those expectations may be unrealistic. A successful land tenure model should support land remaining in agricultural use over a long period of time so that urban farmers can test out for-profit and non-profit business models. 
It will take time for farmers to learn which business models provide an acceptable mix of economic return and community benefits. Along the way, some farms will fail. This is normal with small businesses. The Small Business Association has found that only about half of small businesses survived the first five years. Rather than taking such failures as a sign that land should not be preserved for agricultural use, a successful land tenure model would quickly provide access to a new grower. The role of land trusts in providing and protecting affordable land for urban farming. As in other areas of community development, the nonprofit sector has a special role to play in kickstarting urban farming. Urban agriculture is a relatively low cost approach to job creation and neighborhood revitalization compared to other forms of revitalization. An urban farm can be built more quickly and cheaply than housing or mixed-use development. In practice, of course, the fact that business models for urban farming are still being tested means delays are often encountered in raising capital and satisfying regulatory requirements. Over the past 30 years, the land trust has emerged in the United States as a preferred model for holding land for community gardens and urban farms. This reflects the convergence of two trends, the creation of specialized open space land trusts to conserve land for community gardens, and the move that some community land trusts, or CLTs, have made to promote urban agriculture. There is a distinction between open space land trusts and community land trusts. Open space land trusts, which may also be called conservation land trusts, focus on the protection and preservation of lands on which are built few, if any, residential structures and which are not being productively used to grow food or fiber. Open space land trusts, moreover, do not generally have an organizational structure that fosters community-based governance. Community land trusts, by contrast, acquire and hold land for the benefit of a place-based community to which the organization is accountable. They generally have a tripartite board structure that includes seats dedicated to beneficiaries of the trust, usually people who live in housing held by the trust, residents from neighboring communities, and people with needed experience or organizational connections. Under both types of land trust, a nonprofit organization owns or holds rights to use parcels of land, but leases out parcels of land for productive use. The size of the lease fees will depend on what is needed to cover the lessor's costs of holding the land and paying for its own administrative overhead, some of which may be subsidized through public or private philanthropy. Open Space Land Trusts New York Community Garden Land Trusts In 1999, the administration of New York City Mayor Rudolf Giuliani announced a plan to auction off over 100 pieces of city-owned land that were home to community gardens. Gardeners and their allies mobilized in resistance to the plan, organizing demonstrations and filing lawsuits. In 2002, 
After a negotiated settlement of the lawsuits with Mayor Michael Bloomberg's administration, 69 gardens were purchased by the Trust for Public Lands, or TPL. The New York Restoration Project, or NYRP, a nonprofit founded and funded by the singer Bette Midler, took ownership of dozens more gardens. In the years since, TPL has established three local land trusts to hold and manage the gardens, the Manhattan Land Trust, the Brooklyn Queens Land Trust, and the Bronx Land Trust. The board of each land trust is a mix of community garden leaders and staff from New York City nonprofit organizations. NYRP has now taken on a broader mission to provide green space to underserved areas of the city and is being led by a range of New York philanthropists, business people, and civic leaders. At some of its sites, the amount of space available for community-managed gardens has been reduced in favor of tidy pocket parks. Community Land Trusts Since the 1980s, community land trusts in the United States have had a primary focus on permanently affordable housing, but there has also been a parallel, albeit less common, focus on agricultural practices, both in rural and urban settings. Especially in the last decade, CLTs have played three roles in support of urban agriculture. First, some CLTs formed to provide affordable housing have begun to hold land for community gardens and urban farms. Second, some housing-focused CLTs have provided programmatic support for urban agriculture, rather than taking on ownership of agricultural land themselves. Also, a few organizations focused exclusively on urban agriculture have been founded and structured as community land trusts, adapting some of the organizational and operational features of CLTs that developed in housing. Here we focus on several applications of the CLT model to urban agriculture, starting with the Southside Community Land Trust, which remains the only CLT in the USA with a sole focus on preserving land for community gardens and urban farms. Southside Community Land Trust. Southside Community Land Trust holds title to 16 community gardens in Providence, Rhode Island. Southside CLT provides programmatic support, such as arranging for bulk purchases of organic fertilizers for these gardens, as well as for the 25 gardens in its network that are owned by other organizations. Southside differs from other community land trusts in that it only holds land for gardens and farms rather than for affordable housing. However, like traditional CLTs, it has built community representation and engagement into its governance structure. 51% of its board members must be elected directly from the gardeners. In addition to protecting land for community gardens, Southside CLT manages two commercial farms. City Farm is a three-quarter acre commercial urban farm in South Providence that began in 1986. Urban Edge Farm is a 50-acre farm in nearby Cranston, Rhode Island. 
Its mission is to support seven new farmers who collaboratively manage the land. The land for Urban Edge was purchased by the state in 2002, pursuant to the state's Open Space Preservation Act. The site, which was formerly a dairy farm, is now owned and protected by the Rhode Island Department of Environmental Management, which leases it to Southside CLT for $1 per year. About 20 of the 50 acres are cultivable. Southside CLT initially operated its own CSA farm at Urban Edge Farm, but within a few years, it became clear that production would not cover the significant staffing costs. Through Urban Edge Farm, Southside CLT now teaches farming practices to new farmers, rents them farm equipment, provides compost and fertilizer, and plows the land once a year. After going through training, these beginning farmers can rent up to two acres of land at below market rates. These farming businesses are owned and operated by people who have experience in farming, but weren't able to buy or rent land on their own at market rates. They sell through CSAs, directly to institutions, and through growers' cooperatives. Athens Land Trust. As an adjunct to its affordable housing and land conservation efforts, the Athens Land Trust, or ALT, in Athens, Georgia, has made a deep commitment to community agriculture programming as a strategy for community engagement and neighborhood revitalization. The threefold mission of their community agriculture program is to A, promote sustainable agriculture, B, increase access to healthy food, and C, support economic and entrepreneurial opportunities for underserved youth and adults. This program has five components. The first is the Community Garden Network. The CGN is a partnership among organizations that grow and promote school and community garden projects. The second component is Farm to School. ELT is working with the local school system to expand school gardens and to incorporate fresh food grown on school grounds into cafeteria meals. The third component involves vendor development. The West Broad Farmers Market provides retail space for underserved farmers and small business owners. The fourth component involves young urban farmers. In partnership with the Clark County School District, ALT established the Young Urban Farmers Program in order to provide underserved high school students with sustainable agriculture education hands-on work experience, and leadership development. The fifth and final component involves farmer outreach. This program is a collaborative effort with the Natural Resources Conservation Service to conduct outreach and educational activities for underserved groups in Northeast Georgia. Oakland Community Land Trust. The programming of the Oakland Community Land Trust in Oakland, California is focused on three core initiatives, residential anti-displacement, career pathways and construction training, and land access for food production. 
In their Urban Agriculture and Community Gardens program, they're building an administrative and legal capacity to acquire and to steward land in perpetuity for a variety of open space, agricultural, and gardening uses that directly serve low-income families and neighborhoods. They are collaborating with community partners to reuse blighted, tax-defaulted parcels in ways that engage existing neighborhood residents in the production of healthy food. The Oakland Community Land Trust is currently in the process of acquiring a number of tax-defaulted and lien-burdened parcels from Alameda County. Once taking ownership, the land will be prepared for community use with long-term ground leases provided to partner organizations for urban agriculture initiatives. The Central Server Model, a scalable approach to urban farming. The Central Server is a model developed within the Community Land Trust movement to facilitate the scaling and stewardship of permanently affordable housing on a regional or citywide basis while striking a balance between local control and centralized services. The model was introduced in 2009 in Atlanta and proposed soon thereafter in New Orleans. Supporters hope to spur the growth of neighborhood-based community land trusts by creating a central entity that would provide a variety of technical services, including accounting, development and real estate transactions, negotiating with funders and lenders, and managing resales, all of which require more expertise than a neighborhood-based organization can easily muster. From the experiences in Atlanta and New Orleans, affordable housing advocates soon learned that the burdens placed on a central server can be difficult to bear from a legal, political, financial, and community relations perspective. There is not the space in this chapter to evaluate the effectiveness of the central server model for affordable housing, but it is well worth noting that affordable housing community land trusts in a number of cities in the United States are continuing to explore the best ways to design and to fund a regional operation serving multiple community land trusts in multiple neighborhoods. In the context of urban farming, where transactions are more straightforward because they do not involve housing or residence, we believe that a central server model may hold significant promise. Successfully implementing such a model in the urban farming context, as it does in the housing context, would depend on striking a balance between local control and centralized economies of scale. An appropriate architecture would involve a web of neighborhood-based satellite organizations served by a citywide organization, the Central Server. The Central Server would provide a suite of services for the satellites and for the farmers to whom the satellites provide land. Possible Roles of a Central Server in an Urban Farming Context A central server could do the heavy lifting that is beyond the ability of small, neighborhood-based organizations that are necessarily focused on starting up urban farming projects. With expertise in land use and real estate transactions, a central server could negotiate with local government 
to secure publicly owned land for agriculture, obtain favorable tax treatment, and gain access to city services to provide needed infrastructure to gardens and farms. In addition, a central server could help to provide training and technical support to satellite organizations. Providing such services in group settings would be less costly and would create opportunities to build connections between satellite organizations. A central server could also provide a single point of connection to funders. This would increase the collective leverage of neighborhood organizations beyond what they could accomplish individually and reduce overhead for funders by packaging what might otherwise be numerous similar grant applications. Of course, satellite organizations may also seek funding for their own operations. A central server would also have access to officials and decision-making in city government that is beyond the reach of smaller organizations. The term server is key to understanding the model. A central server would exist to serve satellite entities in each of the neighborhoods encompassed by the central server. The staff for a central server would have to be skilled at playing well with others and studiously avoid engaging in turf battles or picking favorites. This would not be easy, especially in cities where local elected officials have a strong say in how projects are developed in their districts. Roles of neighborhood-based satellites in a central server for urban farming. Satellite organizations would serve as the voice of their community. They may be existing nonprofits, such as community development corporations and community land trusts, new startups, or more informal entities. No matter what form they take, they should be able to speak credibly on behalf of their neighborhoods and ensure that land use decisions are in the best interest of residents. A central server would free neighborhood-based satellite organizations from the heavy lifting of real estate transactions, infrastructure installation, and negotiating favorable property tax treatment. Satellites would then be able to focus on the critical work of managing productive land with the oversight and engagement of neighborhood residents through participatory planning and recruiting growers who are committed to integrating farming into the fabric of their community. Satellite entities would have to play some governance role in the central server. This would help to ensure that the central server staff would keep their eyes on the prize of supporting neighborhood organizations. Who should own the land in a central server model? In an urban agriculture context, it would likely make more sense for the central server to be the landholding entity. As described below, this is the approach that NeighborSpace has used to great success in Chicago. It takes advantage of economies of scale and real estate expertise and provides a single point of contact for public agencies that provide land for farms and gardens. On the other hand, Satellite organizations may want to own the land themselves to secure better local control over neighborhood development. A hybrid approach might also work where the land was initially owned by the central server, but satellite organizations would have the option to purchase lands in their neighborhood once they had built a management and stewardship capacity locally. 
Such a hybrid approach might also provide that, in the event a satellite organization failed, LANs would revert to the central server. Neighbor space, a central server case study. Neighborspace is the closest existing organization to what might be considered a central server land trust model for urban agriculture. Founded to help conserve Chicago's community gardens, the land trust has recently begun to hold land for commercially oriented urban farms as well. Its history and structure point toward how a central server model might be further developed in other cities. Neighborspace was founded in 1996 as a response to a city planning report that found Chicago lagging behind other major cities in terms of open space per capita. The report noted that some of the city's 55,000 vacant lots had been converted or appropriated for neighborhood uses, including community gardens. Yet even as development threatened many of these gardens, no public agency was tasked with conserving community-managed open space. The report recommended creating a citywide land trust to hold urban gardens. In response, the City of Chicago, the Cook County Forest Preserve, and the Chicago Park District joined to found and to fund NeighborSpace, which would officially be an independent nonprofit organization. NeighborSpace has continued to operate with support and oversight from these three governmental entities, each of which provides $100,000 in annual funding, with each appointing two representatives to serve on the Land Trust's board of directors. The remaining three seats on the board are reserved for non-governmental representatives. As of mid-2019, NeighborSpace owned or leased 115 sites. Although accounting for only a fraction of the hundreds of community gardens in Chicago, NeighborSpace nevertheless protects a sizable amount of land, 26.4 acres of green space, or the equivalent of 15 football pitches. NeighborSpace takes on many of the roles of a central server while leaving certain other roles to community organizations. Community gardens are managed by groups of gardeners while NeighborSpace takes on vital and often costly tasks that would prove burdensome for individual groups of gardeners. These include acquiring land, securing title, completing environmental testing and remediation, securing liability insurance, applying for property tax exemptions, arranging for water access, and responding to stewardship emergencies like fallen trees. NeighborSpace is careful, however, to leave community organizing to community organizations. Before it will consider securing title to a community garden, the Land Trust requires a community partner to take responsibility, along with at least three garden leaders and at least 10 community stakeholders. NeighborSpace also leaves the governance and management of gardens to community partners so long as they meet minimum insurance requirements. Around 2010, NeighborSpace began holding land for urban farms. This happened after Growing Home, a successful nonprofit urban farm, saw an opportunity to expand onto a nearby city-owned parcel. 
Rather than seeking to have the city transfer ownership directly, the farm sought instead to have the city transfer the land to neighbor space, which would then lease the parcel to growing home. For neighbor space, holding land for commercial farming was a new proposition. After considering the issue, the land trust's directors agreed that supporting urban farms fit with the mission of preserving community-managed open space. In addition to requiring that farms be operated by not-for-profit entities, neighbor space disallows any permanent structures, although hoop houses are permissible, and ensures that a farm's size is suited to the neighborhood context. From the city's perspective, neighbor space's ownership of land being used for urban agriculture solves several problems. The land trust can help coordinate and raise funds for environmental testing and remediation, expenses that can run to several hundred thousand dollars. Neighbor space's ownership also ensures that if a particular gardening group dissolves or if an urban farming organization ceases operations, public investments will continue to benefit the public. This new model has expanded. In the west side neighborhood of East Garfield Park, neighbor space now leases 2.6 acres to Chicago Farmworks, a nonprofit farm that sells its produce at wholesale prices to the Greater Chicago Food Depository. Beyond these two sites, officials from city agencies and local foundations have come to see neighbor space as a useful tool for expanding Chicago's commercial agriculture sector. Neighbor space is the organization closest to what a central server might look like. But the point is not that its model should simply be adopted in other cities. The conditions surrounding the founding and funding of neighbor space are unique to Chicago. Elsewhere, urban farming organizations might need to spearhead a process to create a new land tenure model and might need support from local foundations rather than government partners. That could produce a more formalized network of community-controlled neighborhood-level satellite organizations than currently exists in Chicago. NeighborSpace provides a helpful example, but the structure of new urban farming land trusts will surely vary depending on the contexts and resources available in different cities. Best Practices for Designing a Central Server Encourage government buy-in. The vast majority of land for urban farming will likely come from the public sector. In addition, public subsidies for remediation and operations will often be needed. As a quid pro quo, government may seek to control the central server's functions. A central server will work best, however, when government has a voice but not a veto. Engage with communities. Community engagement in the guidance and governance of the central server will be important for growers, consumers, and neighbors to support the central server and to work cooperatively with the central server in managing land for urban agriculture. Establish a clear division of roles and responsibilities. There should be a clear division of roles and responsibilities between the central server and neighborhood-based satellites 
as well as between the central server and government, community organizations, and farmers. Land should be owned by the central server. Land ownership by the central server will generally work best, but there may be an option for local entities to eventually purchase lands in their own neighborhoods with reversion to the central server if the satellite goes under. Central server should do the technical work. The central server should attend to legal and financial issues that require technical expertise beyond that of growers. Such expertise includes title, insurance, land preparation, construction of infrastructure, and property taxation. Central server should foster communication and education. The central server should be transparent in its own policies, operations, and finances while encouraging communication among growers, sharing information about best farming practices. Central server should seek favorable property tax treatment. To protect the ongoing affordability of urban farmland, the central server should look for opportunities to reduce or to stabilize property taxes on its holdings. Conclusion. Farms and gardens are hardly a new feature of America's urban landscapes, having repeatedly cropped up and withered away since the late 1800s. This coming and going frames a puzzle. How might urban agriculture become and remain a permanent part of our cities? How might we reimagine and restructure land tenure to help urban farmers contribute on a long-term basis to the health and perhaps the wealth of the cities and communities in which they grow. Answers to these questions are emerging in fits and starts as people tinker with ways that urban farmers can gain access to land on a long-term basis. In all likelihood, no single dominant model will emerge. Instead, we will see the development of a diverse mix of strategies, including the increasing use of land trusts. We have proposed in this chapter a way in which current strategies, the central server model in particular, might be extended and expanded to help urban farmers and community gardeners to become more securely rooted in their communities. Community ownership of land, combined with long-term ground leases, offers a tried and true approach that provides security of tenure for urban growers while preserving the community's voice in land use decisions. We hope this approach will prove fruitful, grafting onto, hybridizing with, and fertilizing ongoing efforts to expand urban agriculture in the United States and in other countries as well. This has been an audio presentation of a published chapter from the book entitled On Common Ground. To order the entire volume of 26 essays, authored by scholars and practitioners from a dozen different countries, or to learn more about the International Community Land Trust movement, please visit the website of the Center for CLT Innovation. We can be found at www.cltweb.com. Dot org. Thank you for listening.